0: Hi, this is James Rousseau, and I would like to welcome you to another edition of The Coiling Solution, where we look to empower you through awareness and actionable insights. Anyone who contemplates becoming a business owner has tons of considerations around what they need to do to become such a business owner. Without a doubt, the basics come to mind. A great product or service, business sense, financials, marketing, customer service, and the list goes on and on. However, many stop with the belief that if they don't have the next great product, or technological breakthrough, then perhaps they cannot make it. If that's you, then listen closely to this story. On this episode, I'm linking up with entrepreneur Kim Millia, whom with her partners drove to $1 million in their first 39 months in business and have created a multi-million dollar company. Now in business for over 20 years, Kim shares her journey, lessons, and her three keys on how to become a business owner. So sit back, listen up, as we're about to link up with Kim Millia. Welcome to uh, another edition of the Corelink Solution. I am here with Miss Kim Milia, one of the. Uh Founders, leaders of the MILIA team inside of an organization uh, called Legal Shield, and she'll tell you all about it. But I'm going to pause there and let her introduce herself.
1: Okay, well, thank you, James. This is exciting to be here for sure, and I'm honored and privileged. And I hope to deliver uh, some sort of message that the audience would receive and really. actually put into action, though, right? Uh, so I have an organization with my two partners, Mike and Steve, and we've been involved with a company called Legal Shield for 20 years, and basically really fighting for equal justice under law is really what we do. And that's our mission. But our other mission is uh, equal justice under law we know isn't a reality. So our company is helping solve that solution uh, in a big way. But we also help other people in the entrepreneurial side, which is giving their, their life back, I, I would say, really giving them the opportunity to make a choice of, uh, being able to have a corporate position or, you know, have own their own business. But also, I think inside of Legal Shield, what's a little different is that we have a business inside of a business. So we have corporate taking care of stuff for you and we can run our business and, and, um, let corporate do the things like, deal with stuff that we don't want to deal with as entrepreneurs, as, as administrative stuff. But the great thing is behind all of it is still um, a huge mission, uh, which I believe is is massive, is equal justice under law. But but, uh, but also to be able to tell people um, there are choices in life. You don't have to live the life that you're living. And when I realized that um, there was choices out there, it was a matter of finding what suited you and to be able to find a culture of people that you wanted to be around and to be able to grow. Right.
0: So let's go back. So you connection Canadian. Yes. So uh, I didn't know that after, until I had known you for a little bit. So tell me about, uh, I guess i start from your humble beginnings. Okay. What part of Canada are you from originally?
1: Originally, I was born in Edmonton. Okay. And then I moved to Vancouver area, just out of Vancouver, in a little small town with 5,000 people called Aldergrove. Mm-hmm. It was a valley girl. And But I moved when I was three years old. My mother um, was with, unfortunately, a very abusive um, husband. My father was very abusive physically, mentally, emotionally to all of us. I kind of got away with it because I was the baby girl. So I only dealt with it a little bit of it, and I don't remember. But we moved to then Vancouver, and that's who I meet, met my real dad, who I call my real dad. So uh, they were together for quite some time, and um, I was a, a really good kid until they split up when I was— um, 14, I moved to Toronto. So now I'm all the way across, right? So now I moved from a 5,000 people town, small little town to Toronto, mm-hmm. which is a massive difference. And my parents ended up splitting splitting up just probably within a year I moved there. Gotcha. And uh, I became quite the rebel for a little while, but I turned out okay.
0: Oh. Did you go through all the public school systems? And, and Yes. So I moved
1: <laughs> probably at least 25 times by the time I was Eighteen Military parents? Nope. No, just we moved all over. So moving all over in Canada, then, you know, different jobs my parents would get, so we would just move. So I only went to the same school for maybe two years in a row, elementary for two years and then my high school. So I was really, I was, I guess you could say like a military kid, I I became um, very outgoing because there was no other way. Uh, But I only finished, I was the first one to graduate from my family in high school. And none of us have taken any um, university, at least my immediate family. How many siblings? Two. Okay. Two older brothers. And both of them don't. Both of them, you know, one of them's doing great. One of them's doing, you know, as good as he can. But uh, I was the first one to graduate. It was a big thing in my family. Sure. And, you know, now we have others that have graduated. We don't have anybody yet in college. Uh, But uh, we have a lot of um, people who have entrepreneurial spirit.
0: And so how would you make your way to entrepreneurship?
1: You know... Because of the way I grew up and being, we went from middle class to lower class. And I remember being on food stamps. I remember being on welfare for just a couple of years, not my whole life, but enough time where I felt, um, I felt very poor, not because my mom made me feel that way, but my brother uh, made, made us feel like, you know, Hey, we're really poor and we're, uh, we're never going to be a family of of much. Mm-hmm. This is the, where we've come from. We're a blue collar family, and and so I remember the, those statements, and I remember um, watching my parents go through life and and do well, give us as, as much as they could. Right. But I knew that they weren't really doing things they loved to do or living up to their potential. And I just saw this over. I can't really say there was one point, but once I started to get into my career right. of you know I graduated, and I had to go into corporate because I didn't have much education. And I didn't want to take school because I wasn't really into school. So I went into corporate Canada right away. And what I realized was I was already doing what my parents were doing, was doing a job that I didn't like and that I kind of just forced myself into um, because I didn't see, see there was any other way. But always in the back of my head, I just knew that I that there was different potential for Kim, that I didn't have to go through the traditional system. So I dabbled into modeling, which uh, was good for me because it showed me how much money you can make Mm -hmm. in an hour versus working in corporate. Uh, So I knew modeling wasn't where I wanted to go down, but I knew that, hey, if I could make, you know, I was, I was a hand model for Avon for years. And so I was making, you know, a hundred bucks an hour. Then I would go to a corporate job that was like, are you kidding me? I don't make this in like four days. So I knew that there was something out there that, somebody like me could do now. I knew it wasn't modeling. So it was open. Mm-hmm. My mind was always open. Like, Hey, if I just remain open, I didn't necessarily even want to have my own business. I didn't mm-hmm. want to have a traditional turnkey business. I really didn't know. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't go to school. I was just open. Mm-hmm. And the more that I was open, the more that I was receptive. And then I heard about, um, the direct selling network marketing industry. I went to a meeting and it was actually uh, at the time, my boyfriend's uncle mm-hmm. that we had met. And I didn't understand it. I went to a meeting. I was like, I don't get it. They were selling costume jewelry. And at the time I couldn't care about jewelry at all. So I left there and I remember though, the uncle, his name is Rob. He said, I have a feeling that I'm going to know you for a long period of time, even better than I know my nephew. And it was just this connection And ever since then, he's been like family to me. He's literally been like my uncle. And uh, it's now, we've been really business partners for over 20 years.
0: This is Rob McKenzie. Yes.
1: And so he introduced me to the industry. I never got involved in the first company. He just kept in touch with me and then got me involved in a company called the People's Network, which is all about personal development. From there, it all started because... Once I started to know what personal development was, it was everything to me because that was my self-education. That's where I said to myself, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. How come nobody told me there was a Jim Rowan out there? That people would, you know, give me the inspiration that no matter where I came from, no matter what I did, no matter who my family was or what they thought we could be or couldn't be, that I could really change that if I wanted to. And that was my inspiration. As soon as I heard about personal development, as soon as I studied it and continue, um, I mean, I was a, crazed at it. I would listen to it hours on end a day. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily take notes, but I just knew it was going into my subconscious and I needed it. Right. And when I, um, so I base my whole, uh, successes on personal development on self-study mm-hmm. and I, I'm grateful for that. So that's how that really started. And that's what gave me the encouragement and gave me the possibility to be able to do what I do and be successful.
0: And so now you've been a part of having your own business for how long?
1: Uh, 21 years.
0: So as new entrepreneurs are coming into the company, coming into your team, what are some of the biggest lessons learned you often share with them as they're getting started with their businesses?
1: I would say to associations Mm -hmm. matter. So who you hang out with, and that means that you might have to limit associations. I had to limit my associations with one of my brothers because he really poo-pooed everything that I was doing because he didn't see what I was seeing. Mm -hmm um but he also was doing that to protect me. Mm. So if I were to say something I don't doesn't matter what business is. Sometimes people will say things to you that actually hurt you. Um in the in the in the in term of you starting your business or going through the process of having a business, right. but they're really just it's a reflection of them looking in the mirror and then really judging themselves like, you know, almost pissed off at themselves that they're not doing and being as um a brave as you are. Mm. Um it, at the same time, they don't want you to get hurt. So they're actually protecting you. So I didn't realize that at the time. So what he said to me motivated me in a, in a good way, um, to become successful. But when I realized really what that was doing, I would like to say to people, when people do uh, say things to you that might unmotivate you, make that your motivation, because it's really not what they're thinking of you. It's the reflection of what they're looking in the mirror, maybe what they're not doing. Um, That would be one. So associations matter.
0: And you know, you're you're probably the second and third person I've talked to recently who said that. How do you, I mean, that's hard. Mm -hmm. It sounds easy. Like when we, because there's a phrase we say sometimes too, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. It makes a lot of sense on the positive side. When you think about going to spend the time with those five people, it's the harder side of pushing out those you don't want to spend time with. How do you do it?
1: Well, like my brother's are good at, you know, I, I just didn't talk to him as much. I talked mm. to him through my mother, mm-hmm. you know, gotcha. uh, so, so you can either eliminate associations, eliminate, like you can't eliminate your spouse if you love your spouse, but your spouse might not be the most positive person to you right now. Mm-hmm. So you can limit that. But I did have to like just completely, um, you know, not talk to certain people for a certain period of time or limit my associations with certain people. And I probably more or less completely didn't talk with my brother. I talked through my brother because there was just things that he would say that would really hurt me even through my mother. And I would ask them sometimes because I just want to know how he was. It was hurtful. There was like some of my best friends that you would think that would encourage you. Um, they didn't necessarily not encourage me, but they didn't, necessarily cheerlead me on either. They kind of looked at me like, oh, that's a thing she's doing or that's a phase or I'm, I'm above that. Mm. And again, I don't think they meant it, but that's how I took it. And again, I had something to prove them, you know, because now they're sitting at positions. Unfortunately, some of them that, uh, one of them is brilliant. Five languages Mm -hmm. uh, can work anywhere. And she's literally had probably 10 different jobs and never found her niche where she really, truly deserves to be paid more or to be worth more. Right. I'm not saying that she's not worthy, but it's just interesting to see that process now. And then here I am over here having the time freedom, the life freedom, um, because of the choices I made. And, and I think sometimes now people think you're lucky.
0: That's good. What other advice?
1: So the other thing is, you know, is to, is to add people into your life. So if you have to eliminate some, sometimes they don't know you're limiting or eliminating them necessarily. I mean, you may, I mean, nowadays you can just, you know, defriend somebody on Facebook if that's an issue too. I, I, I haven't had that issue, but I really needed to add people into my associations. And and there wasn't really a lot to add, like people-wise. In other words, physical people. So Jim Rohn ended up being one of my associations, right? You're like, well, I've never sat with him. Well, he sat in my car all the time. He <laughs> right, sat in right. my shower, as a matter of fact, right. <laughs> You know, because shower time was like, I couldn't be on the phones. I couldn't be doing anything else. So I'd be listening to personal development. So I say Jim because he really was the biggest one to impact me. There's many others like Wayne Dyer now, a little mm-hmm. bit more spiritual. And of course, uh, Tony Robbins is great. And there's many others, but I added more people like that into my life. Mm -hmm. So, because when I looked at the five people in my life, I was in trouble because I didn't have those five Mm -hmm. associations. So I did add more personal development and then, you know, the Rob McKenzie's and then, you know, I would just, I would start to hang out where people where I might felt a little uncomfortable because I wasn't at their level of, um, um, achievement, Mm -hmm. but I felt I was always at people's level of a person. Right. Like just because you achieve more than me, you've spent more time at something than me, you know more than me. That doesn't mean I can't get there. Right. And uh, that was, you know, that was a that was a, that was a lot to um, do for personal development and to ha- have encouraging people around me. Right. Like somebody like a Rob McKenzie or my parents are constantly supporting me mm-hmm. and encouraging me, sent to the point where they believed in me more than I believed in myself. Right. So they would say, "No, you're ready to go speak, or you're ready to do this," and I'd be like, "Heck no, are you kidding me?" Yeah. And if I said no, this was a big thing. So if I could say this to the entrepreneurs and people looking at businesses: is when opportunity knocks, it really knocks just once. Right. So let that door open, even when you don't think you're ready for mm. it. Trust me, others think you're ready, and that's why it's opened. That's and that that was that's a hard one still today because there's things I don't necessarily, I don't even think it's like to do. I don't think I'm as good as somebody else mm. to be on stage speaking about something. But when somebody opens that door, that that means that there's obviously it's there for a reason for you to right. take it and not to judge yourself on others.
0: Are there any things along your entrepreneurial journey? If you had a chance to do over, you do over.
1: Interesting. You know, I don't have any regrets. I know. I, I mean, there's I mean, I think that you can always look back and say hindsight, but honestly, no, because if I didn't go through all of that, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be able to, um, you know, speak on, on behalf of a, you know, a woman coming through different ranks and different things that happened in my career. I'm grateful for all of them. I'm grateful for all the struggles that I had, you know, at the beginning, middle and continue to have, um, growing as a leader, because I think leadership is just, um, something that's developed over time. I don't think it's in an eight. I don't think it's just in you. I think right. it's something that's developed. I think that there's definitely people that have some uh, qualities maybe coming right out of the womb, but not very many. I think it's a it's something that you want to do. And it's right. something, I think it's also when you've walked down a path of and um, whatever that path looks like to you and you've succeeded up to what you think is success, there's always somebody that's looking and following you um, that you can um, teach them along that way. So necessarily the journey is more of it. So honestly, it's a hard, Question. Because I really, to me, I don't think there's anything I would change. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I wish I maybe did this faster or something else. But honestly, no. Because um, looking back, there's nothing that I would tell anybody. You just have to just almost be more present than anything else mm-hmm. and enjoy the journey. For me, I really did enjoy it. I feel like I had enjoyed it, but I think that sometimes people are seeking to get to the finish line. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's really a finish line for me. There's not like you can say retirement's a finish line or if I'm at this amount of money, it's a finish line. I believe that, you know, people think that if there's no finish line, then you're, there's always a goal in mind, but there's no real finish, finish. And so if there's no finish line, then I'm going to continue to learn and grow and I'm going to meet the people along my path that I need to.
0: So, you know, one of the things that is, uh, I think a constant is, um, whether it's Cheryl Sandberg's book and or um, when people were looking at the uh, political race, I think people looked at Hillary Clinton in this way. Uh, I think a recent um, in the one of the recent uh, governor races, a, a woman has won the primary for governor. There's a constant focus on women in leadership, right? And, and having people to point to for inspiration. Obviously, your point of inspiration here. Uh, and you probably have some folks before you who inspired you um, who, it, who was your source of inspiration as a woman leader and uh, uh, an entrepreneurial perspective? Who are some of the people that inspire you today?
1: Well, I've got two sheroes that I love, and I have some in my own business, so I'll name the ones that the celebrities that everybody knows. Uh, one of them is Oprah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence uh, the orphanage that you know we have in Guatemala and the work like that. And the other one's Madonna. Mm. So yeah, Madonna, uh, they're both brilliant business women, mm-hmm. you know, in a completely different fashion. But I really, I, uh, first of all, love music and stuff like that. But uh, the message and, and who she is as a businesswoman and, and Oprah. So those two just inspired me uh, from probably when I was a teenager. Gotcha. You know, I'm a huge Oprah fan. I listen to a lot of her stuff. And then people in my business. I mean, definitely there was, you know, two women that inspired me a lot. Uh, one of them is Teresa Coyne that completely and still today from everything from health to, to to how, you know, her relationships are, uh, into building her business. But I think that that's probably actually something great to say is that I didn't just find a mentor in just one area. I found mentors in all different areas and some of them were men, right? right? It's okay to have men as a woman and vice versa. And so I had different women that inspired me in different areas of my life. Mm -hmm. That's, um, that's, I think it's really, really key. And it's, uh, but for me, you know, I, 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 first of all, I never separated myself from a man and a woman. Now, I don't know if that was something I got brought up on or it was, it's Canadian thing too. I'm not really, how I grew up, at least in this industry too, where my career was, there was always a man and a woman on stage. So that was just kind of like there. And so when there wasn't a woman, guess what? I was the next in rank and I was up there, but, but I do find that I never, um, put that as a separate. And, and even when I uh, was doing this business with my husband at the time, right, Uh, we're separated. We still are business partners, which is amazing in itself. We didn't like, we just worked on each other's strengths mm-hmm. and same with my business partners. It's like, you know, we didn't focus on the weaknesses. Right. And so whether you're a man or a woman, there was no, that, that wasn't a difference. Mm-hmm. So I never saw myself as a woman leader until I started to, until women started really wanting to following me, asking me. And just recently I just started coaching just women, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't like I was against it, but I was just so used to coaching everybody as one. But what I do realize is that women do need um, that that extra push, or that extra person, or that extra inspiration, or that story. They need the intimacy of the coaching of women right. because we do relate. Um, Very well, as men do. So I see that more now needed, and I think that um, that's why I started coaching just more of a group session of women, and I'm really liking it. Uh, But at the same time, it's very challenging because we have a lot of different issues, just like everybody does. But it's interesting when you're coaching one-on-one and you're coaching in a group setting too. Uh, I love it, and I and I and I truly do believe that there are many more women out there Mm -hmm. that will be stepping into a lot more leadership roles, and. I think it's grateful. I'm grateful for that. The men that's are encouraging us to do that too.
0: What do you think typically holds a person back from getting started? You know, a lot of, I know you come across a lot of people uh, in your travels and events. I mean, by the way, um, you know, we, we are recording this right now in Montego Bay, Jamaica. Yeah, I'm on. Uh, Kim is here <laughs> because she's earned this trip once again. How many trips have you been on, probably?
1: Over well, 25, over, 30.
0: See? Over 25, 30 trips, right? So because she's a leader, fabulous leader and organization that makes uh, a lot of incentives and whatnot. She makes these incentives trips. I'm just here because I just get to interview her. So (laughs) so, uh, I'm taking her away from the beach or whatever. She could be diving (laughs) off a cliff right now if she wasn't here (laughs) taking this interview. Um, So, you know, but as you talk to people and try to explain the opportunity to be an entrepreneur, so on and so forth, people hear it and they go, yeah, but what do you find are some of the typical or thematic reasons that Hold people back from getting going with their, their new business, whatever the business might be?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, people aren't focused. Hmm. Um, I know that uh, it's easy to be unfocused, defocused. Uh, social media is the biggest defocus. It's like CNN, oh. constant negative news. So is social media at some point. Right. But I use social media, you know, I use social media a lot to be in contact with my friends and family, but I also use it for the purpose of business. And then there's people who just use it because, hey, I got nothing better to do and they're defocused. So that's one thing. They're just not like for me, it was like I had the blinders on. I was that, you know, uh, the horse that had. Oh, I, what do they call those little things? I have, know what you're talking about. Right? I can't think of the name. And my, you know, I was in yeah. Charleston, and that's what the horse had because you had to go in the same direction. Didn't need to be, you know, um, distracted by the people or by the sounds or whatever was going on. And I'm not saying you have to be focused like that for 20 years, but you do have to be focused for a concentrated period of time, and that means focused on your associations. That means right. focused on almost becoming better than focusing on your business. Mm-hmm. And I and when I say that, it's, almost, it's like an oxymoron because people don't get it, but you really have to become a better person to attract people to any business that you do. Right. And so work harder on yourself than you do in your business. Uh, that doesn't mean you don't make the phone calls. That doesn't mean you don't do all those things, but when you can really work hard on yourself, people will be attracted to you and wanna know what you do rather than you having to go search mm-hmm. for that. So I think that's a big thing. I think that people just don't believe mm. I'll get back to that in a second. But the other thing that really kind of pisses me off, honestly, is the people that complain and do nothing. Mm. That's like, I I don't get that because I think that's a victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And I could definitely be a victim of my past, just like anybody else. And I don't have this horrible past, but I don't have the best past. I could be a victim of it. Or I could really use that to fuel the energy to become who I am supposed to be right. and what I'm supposed to deliver in this world. And so it kind of makes me angry or frustrated or, I always, like, like I say, rather than those words, fascinated, as right. Jim, Jim Rowland would say. Mm-hmm. Fascinated that people don't make that choice. They don't they, that, listen, you have a choice. Just like me, I'm from Canada. Right. I don't like snow. I moved to San Diego. Why? Because it's the most beautiful place. I call it the sweet center of the universe because I can. So I made choices even though I don't live with my family and people say, how could you move away? Well, I have a choice to live where I want to live, do a business that I I can make the choices where I can travel to them when I want to or bring them to me. So if you can make the choice and be focused and then have the belief in yourself For me, that's what I needed the the worst work at. So I had people who believed in me more and I worked on myself more so then I could have the belief in me. So not that that the people stop believing me, but I could actually start to have that in myself to push myself more to do what I am am really supposed to be here for. And and when you can have a vehicle Mm -hmm. like I have because I look at Legal Shield as my vehicle. So my career is my vehicle to do the things that I I I, I um, am born to do, uh-huh. whatever that looks like. And I didn't know that. And I think when people don't find something where they have the freedom and the flexibility, they may never become the person that they were supposed to be.
0: You're passionate about the
1: yes. make a choice. Yes. get
0: there. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Yeah. So talk about it's work play love, right? Yeah. Talk about Workplace Love and your work in Guatemala.
1: Cool. Well, Workplace Love got started uh, as a nonprofit about five years ago now, and it really was a um, foundation for four years before that. So for almost 10 years, we had a foundation and we were serving lots of different organizations and uh, doing what we can. Our, our whole purpose was to serve troubled kids mm-hmm. and to, you know, uh, give them the sense of hope opportunity and to let them know that they're unconditionally loved. Mm-hmm. So that was the purpose. And so we did make a and the Boys and Girls Club and lots of fantastic organizations. And then it comes to the point where you start to want to know where all the money's going. Because right. we, you know, collect a lot of money from people and it's kind of the same social network that we use. Sure. And and then we wanted to we almost put your name attached to something where you feel like it's, uh, growing and making a difference. I'm not saying they the other ones aren't just when you start doing more, um, especially when you're asking people for money, the same people, you really want to make them have a, a responsibility almost sure. give them more of an attachment to something. Mm-hmm. So we found ourselves in the un- most unlikely spots in Guatemala. My, my, um, business partner, Mike met somebody on an airplane with, A lot of bracelets and he was a stewardess and basically asked him what he did. And he said, I support an orphanage in Guatemala. He said, tell me more. We're looking for a project. Mm -hmm. And that's how it all started. And within a month, you know, my business partner and I flew out there. We had our um, niece with us at the time and she taped it and made a cool video. And we really asked them in Guatemala. So we went to a boys orphanage first. We asked them what they needed. Um, It's a difference when you go somewhere and ask them what they need than what you want to give, because listen, we want to give a lot. There's a lot of good people that want to give a lot, but what do they really need is a whole different side of it. And so we asked them, and and eventually once we bought them a van and did all those other things, Mm -hmm. uh, they wanted to build a princess palace beside the boys' orphanage that they had been donated the land for 15 years, Mm. but didn't have the resources to do this. Or maybe nobody really came to them and said, hey, what do you really want? Right? I don't know. but. It was a dream come true to bring the girls and the boys together so in mm-hmm. other words, if there was a, if they had to you know go to an orphanage wouldn 't it be nice to have the kids connected they 've already exactly. lost their other family members so we built a girls' Princess Palace, which is the only orphanage in the world that is an actual princess palace. So check it out on workplaylove.org. Wow. It's really pretty cool. And uh, so now these girls, there's 30 girls that live there that are close with their brothers or their sisters didn't have to be separated either. Right. And uh, we've do- been doing that for five years. I go about every three to four months and try to bring a bunch of group of people with me. Um, I go there because it makes a difference for them to see, not just me, but to see the same people or the same person constantly. Makes a difference because I knew it made a difference in my life when sure. I, who I call my father who stayed in my life over the you know the troubles and so for the kids it's important but it's also important them for them to you know have a safe place and you know so we basically built it but we also support it monthly that's great. and so we uh, support the psychologists the teachers the social workers everything that the kids need
0: that's awesome yeah that's awesome I'm not passionate you are about that
1: It's fun I mean, listen it's a huge sense of responsibility because there's not a day I don't go by I'm not a parent so I only can sense what This is like as a parent. Uh, Listen, I go there for two two weeks or a month at a time, depending. I get to leave. You know, but I can only imagine, you know, parents what they go through, and also, you know, when you're adopting a kid or whatnot. So for me, it's a it's something that I never knew why I couldn't have children and now I know why. So Mm -hmm. it's it's opened up a whole new world, not for me, but it's the ripple effect of the kids and it's a ripple effect of people who go there. And you know, we brought you know, kids who have wanted to commit suicide. And, and we say, Hey, come on this mission trip with us, you know, and the next thing you know, the kids now doing, doing other things at their churches and they're not even thinking about suicide anymore. So those things matter. There's one kid, a quick story about a kid at the orphanage because they come and go and some of them go back on the street. I just got hold of one. I hadn't seen him for a couple of years and we've been in touch through Facebook. So that's a good thing. Now they're on Mm -hmm. Facebook, some of them in Guatemala. I don't know how they all do it, but they do. And, uh, and he says to me, he emailed me the other day or a me. He said, I want to study more. And I said, okay, because when anybody who wants to study more, I'm like, tell me and I'll give the money to the teacher to make sure you get your schooling. Mm-hmm. Well, long story short, he said, I want to do what you do. I love music, but I want to do what you do. And I'm thinking, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And he said, I want to help my people mm-hmm. and I want to do what you do. So how can I learn to do what you do? And that to me was better than anything or any person or anything, because now there's an, this kid who's been watching who I didn't really know he was watching everything is so impacted that he now wants to help his people. Yes. And that's where you start to see the change.
0: Now you got generational impact. Yes. That's awesome.
1: One of time, but it, right. it happens, that's right? That's
0: awesome. Yes. Thank you. So let me, as we wrap up, yes. one of the things So I heard a lot, one, um, your story and moving from Canada, it's amazing how one person can make such an impact. So Rob McKenzie meets you yeah. at one place that didn't turn out to convert to be what it was, but stuck and stayed and got you to where now you've got a 20 something plus year mm-hmm. history and track record and have built, uh, an incredible team with a lot of teams underneath that, and now you're building an incredible legacy um two sounds like personal development has been the mainstay It's really the yep. core of everything you've been doing three um the lessons learned along the entrepreneurial journey is again personal development but as other people have not made it some of the things have been lack of decisions riddled with complaints in some cases Mm -hmm. uh and not just persisting and going through it so as we close two two questions for you um since personal development has been so core to you are there two or three resources that somebody listens to this uh program and maybe says okay fine i'll get on the personal development bus with kim Mm -hmm. if that's the case kim give me two or three of your favorites i'm gonna pick them up today (laughs) what are two or three of your favorites
1: Well, I have to say the first book I read, so I didn't read my first book in high school or in school. I am embarrassed to say, but I'm happy to say now I've read many books. I got away with not reading a full book in school. That's not good, by the way. But I read The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol, Mm. which is an oldie. Like some of the stuff in there, you might go, "Whoa, those are wacky exercises. Guess what? Yeah, they are and they work. (laughs) It was really geared towards believing in who you are. So, you know, looking in the mirror at yourself and looking directly into your pupils and telling yourself that you're amazing and you're this, those are really uncomfortable things to do. Mm -hmm. I still do them today. Yeah. Uh, And then my other one is, uh, is the untethered soul Mm. by Michael Singer really deep spiritual book. Uh, My business partner gave it to me at the time of one of the most challenging times of my life. Mm And I did not pick it up for another year. I looked at it and like it almost was like reading another language. And I was like, I do not understand this. But I just wasn't ready for it. It's right. really not that difficult, but it's deep. Yeah. And uh, so I refer to that book a lot. Mm. Uh, again, I could talk about you know you know Jim Rohn and, and li- listening to stuff like that. But if I'm going to really dig in, those would be the two books I would say. If you haven't, those are
0: those are good books. Got it. And knowing what we want to give to this audience, awareness, actionable insights who else do you know that you think they should
1: know that we should know wow oh my goodness i think that you need to know yourself
0: well i mean bring uh, bring on this program for them to know
1: what do you mean so on the
0: podcast who else should, should i oh, bring in Have next year
1: Oh well that's funny that you should so who you should bring on this show? Well besides Madonna and Oprah, I mean I mean I mean mean,
0: if you if you arrange that, I'm happy to talk to them. If you can arrange that, by all means.
1: (laughs) Oh, you're cute. Uh well, I don't know everybody who's ha- who you've had on this show, but I-, I have to promote, of course, my business partners. Um, Mike is an- amazing. Donnie. Okay, good. Well, Steve. Doing. Okay, Steve is good. So you're going to hear about him because he's got some really fascinating lifestyle. Um, I would say that the you know I've got some really um, cool friends that I think are brilliant in two different aspects. So Larry and Donnie Smith. Mm. So Larry um, comes from you know very humble beginnings, uh, but also took himself basically from bankruptcy to a millionaire, mm. which I think is a pretty darn cool story and then his wife if, yeah, you know just has amazing stories of struggles of being a single woman mm-hmm. uh, to going in and they uh, just have a lot of fun together as a couple and they um, really can impact I think as a couple I think an interview is uh, to some like that would be really fun
0: yeah. thank you thank you for being here take some time know. away from Antigo Bay
1: yeah I'm gonna go uh, hang out on my cabana
0: Thank you for linking up with me for another episode of The Coiling Solution. You are informed, so now you can be empowered and accountable. To recap, Kim Millia's three keys on how to be a business owner. Number one, be open to opportunities. Number two, personal development. Work harder on yourself than you do on the business. And number three, have belief, make decisions, and act. She made a key point. You cannot complain and do nothing. You cannot take a victim mentality. In regards to the rest, nothing has changed. If you find the podcast to be of value, please subscribe, rate, and review. No matter what service you use iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify, you can hit the subscribe button, rate, and review the podcast if you find it to be of value. Secondly, this program is about empowering you through awareness and actionable insights in the areas of personal leadership development entrepreneurship and social justice in particular education as you listen to these podcasts you may have questions here's some things that are new to you terminology you may not have heard before all of those things are good and i am here to serve go to our website thecorelinksolution.com and right below the show notes you will see a comment section you can ask questions there You can mention challenges you face in the areas I've mentioned. You can even tell me what other guests you would like to hear from. Alternatively, you can send me the same through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for linking up, and I will see you next episode. Till then, be informed, be empowered, be accountable.